This is KOOP HD1, HD3, Hornsby. The following was home crafted and recorded on January 11th and 12th. Austin Chronicle show. My name is Kim Jones and I am the editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and culture reporting since 1981. If you are a human sentient person alive in 2022, then chances are the Omicron variant has disrupted your life in some way, maybe big, maybe small. That of course has been the continuing story of COVID, but this variant's high transmission rate has meant a lot of people are getting sick. And that has domino effects on available hospital beds, on the supply chain, on the labor force. So I've asked our new food editor, Melanie Halp, to share her insights on how restaurants are doing right now. Melanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So I should mention to our listeners that Melanie has been a longtime contributor to The Chronicle. But last week was your very first week on the job as food editor. Congratulations. Thank you. It's been a busy week for you. (laughs) I just jumped in with both feet and now I'm in it up to my knees. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, so in particular, there has been a labor dispute locally. And I think that that is a good jumping off point for us to talk about the restaurant industry in general. So why don't you bring our listeners up to speed on the Via 313 story? Sure. So on Friday last week, we received a notice from some employees from Via 313 who were planning a protest on the following day on Saturday in response to some actions taken by their employer that they allege their employer. The employees had presented the management of Via 313 with a petition asking for enhanced COVID procedures, more transparency around notifying staff of COVID infections on staff and for sick pay and hazard pay, particularly because COVID-19 transmission among the staff was sort of blowing up, kind of, you know, like it is everywhere. So the employees had presented this petition to the director of operations and There are some allegations on the VIA 313 side that the employees were aggressive and hostile and threatening. And as a result, they suspended three or four of these employees who had presented the petition to management. Hence the protest. And that number, we should say, that number is disputed between management says it was X amount of people. Staff says it was a different number of people. Right. So there are some sort of discrepancies in the details or, you know, they're not necessarily in alignment. But the bigger picture is employees requested one thing and Via 313's response was not what the workers wanted. <laughs> and sure. as a result, the workers protested. Right. Uh, that happened over the weekend. There was the protest. And we should say also, or just remind our listeners, we're taping this on Tuesday. This is a still developing story. When you listen to this on Friday, there might be updates. So this is pretty much broad strokes that we're getting into. But this particular story is not unique. Am I accurate in sort of that impression that these sort of issues are are happening all across the restaurant industry? I think that's right. I think it is 
I mean, there are two separate issues to sort of unpack with this particular labor action, right? There's just the fact that everybody is getting sick. And as a result, restaurants are short-staffed. And the other piece is that sick leave, federally mandated sick leave ended at the end of September, 2021. But now more people are getting sick, but they don't have those same protections from the federal government from before. So restaurants are not required to pay sick leave to their employees. So you've kind of got these two things in tension with one another. In an industry that has already, you know, prior to Omicron, had the highest quit rate in any other industry in the United States, something like 7%. Whereas across other industries, it's more like 3.5%. So there was already a labor shortage in the restaurant industry. And then with people getting sick and unable to work, then that just creates more of a crunch. But people are feeling compelled to come to work sick because they don't have that protective layer of sick leave, which presents a whole really complicated public health situation. And that's not unique to this restaurant or this city or this state, right? It's endemic. Absolutely. I mean, and also looking at it from the management perspective or from the small business perspective, margins are so thin in the restaurant industry to begin with. And they have been struggling for over two years now, trying to keep their, or I guess almost two years now, trying to keep their doors open. (laughs) It's just a really complicated, gnarly situation all around. I'm not sure what the solution is here. What kind of actions are being taken right now in the industry? Or is it simply that the workers are seeing a terrific opportunity in front of them to seize the moment and say, hey, this industry isn't working for us. We need to improve conditions. Right. Yeah. I think that this sort of labor action that we saw on Saturday can represent lots of other worker groups in hospitality, right? So this is just one pebble. I think that we're going to see more labor actions like this, honestly, because I think that workers are starting to feel more empowered to say, we deserve sick pay. We deserve to know if someone with whom we have worked is sick and that needs to come from management. You know, I think that workers are starting to understand that they hold the power here. But I also think economic conditions are not such that You know, capitalism doesn't really allow for workers to agitate for things like $20 an hour in the restaurant industry with those thin margins. I mean, I'm not an economist, so I don't really know like what happens next, but I do think that restaurateurs, particularly, you know, independent, small, locally owned businesses are fighting on a lot of fronts. And the labor shortage and, you know, perfectly reasonable requests for paid sick leave are just sort of the tip of the iceberg, really. Absolutely. You know, our former food editor and friend, Jesse Cape, I loved how she would always describe it. It's not a labor shortage. It's a wage shortage, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is such a successful like bumper sticker size summation. If you pay the workers better, and that's not just in the restaurant industry, the service industry, that's across the board, whatever the industry 
pay them better and they will come. But it does seem as if in particular, it's kitchen jobs, service jobs in the restaurant industry. Workers are just kind of like, why would I work in this industry if this industry isn't going to take care of me? Right. You know, there's this whole other sort of elephant in the room, right, of tips being the sort of baked in expectation that tips are where these workers make the bulk of their money. And, you know, tipping, particularly as it pertains to food service workers, has very problematic roots dating back to Reconstruction, right? So it's a super like racist and archaic structure that a lot of people have been arguing for a while should be abolished altogether. I think the United States is pretty much the only country in the world that still pays waiters $2.13 an hour plus tips. You know, anywhere you go anywhere else in the world and you don't leave a tip because it's baked into the price of your meal. And so, you know, there's that whole other conversation. It is a wage shortage. And at the risk of sounding like I'm assigning blame, which I'm not, but the system is set up so that restaurant owners outsource the payment of their wait staff to customers, mm-hmm. right? In the form of tips. So I honestly think that if this continues for much longer, we may no longer be a society where we pay people's wages through tips. Which would be an exciting development, you know? I think sometimes we focus so much on all of the things that the pandemic has taken away from us that it's good to reframe it sometimes of how can we actually improve systems that are so baked in that they feel like they'll never, ever change and maybe reorienting how customers view their relationship to the food they eat out and who provides it to them, who serves it to them might be a great thing. Yeah, I think that's right. I totally agree. I like dining out and I like tipping, but I don't like the power dynamic. You know, it's like, I don't think that anybody should feel like they should have to be nice to me so that they can pay their light bill. Well, actually on that subject, I feel like we might as well tease, speaking of dining out in next week's issue, you are unveiling something pretty big, I think. Yeah, it's our first restaurant review in almost two years. That's really exciting. And ironically, you were the last person in the Chronicle to file a restaurant review. I know. It's a really weird little bookend, one that I hadn't really anticipated. Just out of curiosity, I know you've only filed one restaurant so far. We won't get into what it is, but what did it feel like? Like going back to being a restaurant reviewer, but in very different conditions. And I'm sure you maybe were adjusting your expectations as a food critic. Yeah, totally. I kind of had to do some level setting for myself, you know, put some guardrails around what my expectations were, you know, going back to that labor shortage issue. I'm expecting nothing from the service situation, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) we're surrounded by new hires or surrounded by people who might be on their fourth double shift of the week because they're short staffed. So, you know, we're just going to give a lot of grace (laughs) to service staff. And also, I think one surprise has been menus are smaller. There's a lot less on offer. And this is not just the restaurant that you'll see reviewed in the paper next week. 
my partner and I have gone to a number of different restaurants in the recent weeks, outdoors and food trucks. We're not dining indoors right now. And we have maybe half a dozen items from which to choose. Very, very small menus. And my sources tell me that that's because, you know, there's competition not only for ingredients because of supply chain issues, but paper goods. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Napkins, deli cups, things like that. So you can kind of see that in the dining out experience. They're just, sorry, we're out of that. We're out of that too. <laughs> no, sorry. We're out of that one too. <laughs> no, um, we're still trying to find joy and pleasure in the act of dining out. Because before the pandemic, that was how you connected with each other, you know, either if it was just you and your partner or you and your coworkers or you and your friends is just hanging out, having some drinks and shooting the breeze. And so trying to get back to that within reason. Well, Melanie, I'm so excited you're bringing back restaurant reviews. I'm so excited that you're newly installed as a food editor and then you're going to be guiding us through this ever-changing, ever-evolving, super weird landscape that we live in. And like you said, still trying to find joy in the experience. Melanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been fun. All right, listeners, we are going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Austin Chronicles show on 91.7 FM co-op community radio. We've been listening to a track by Austin band Black Odyssey for reasons my next guest, Chronicle staff writer Rachel Roscoe, is going to explain. Hi, Rachel. Hi. So, yes, we are highlighting Black Odyssey and four other Austin bands today because dot, 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 it's Austin music poll time. Yes, Black Odyssey is up for band of the year alongside some other acts in the decades old tradition of the Austin Chronicle music poll which is a really good opportunity for music fans to show some love for their favorite acts and players and industry members of the year. And we should say that voting is already underway and voting takes place through January 31st. Yes, you can vote at vote.austinchronicle.com until January 31st at midnight and There are 51 categories. I always emphasize that you do not have to vote in every category to show some love for your favorites of the year. And I also just think perusing the list is a really good way to catch up with the past year in Austin music and see what was happening. It's a really good summary. Absolutely. We should also say that Obviously, this is in the hands of Austin music listeners, lovers of Austin music. And they're the ones in charge of who wins, and the ones who win will be celebrated at the Austin Music Awards in March. Yes, it's March 8th at Emo's. Tickets are not on sale yet, but yeah, that's what's so fun. I'm a music critic and staff writer for The Chronicle, but this is the time of year when it's really up to Austin music fans, and I know how encyclopedic and passionate Austin music fans are, so they're the perfect kind of group to decide what were the leading names that are most beloved in the past year? Well, let's go ahead and focus on the nominees and the best band of the year category. I don't want to skim over Black Odyssey, who we've already listened to a little bit from the track Hang Low from Black Vinyl, uh, which came out in, I think, the summer. Anything we should know about Black Odyssey? 
Yeah, it's Black Vintage. Black um, Vintage, not yeah, Black Vinyl. <laughs> a nominee for Best Record Store, right? Or no? <laughs> no, that is, a, that is a record store, which is also BLK. So great connection you've made sure. there. Thanks for saving me there, Rachel. <laughs> but yeah, Black Vintage. I mean, these are listed alphabetically, but I think it's super appropriate Black Odysseys at the top because it really was an album that had a huge impact beyond Austin. And it was a really interesting combination of funk and hip hop and R&B with a really kind of powerful, tragic message that landed Black Odyssey's songwriter Sam Houston on the cover of The Chronicle in a really great feature. Right. And Sam is a nominee for Best Musician of the Year. And Black Odyssey is also up for Album of the Year and Best Soul R&B. Yeah, they were the biggest consensus pick. Black Odyssey is all over the poll this year. And I think our nominating body, which is a couple hundred members of the Austin music industry, that was one that stood out that Black Odyssey had a big year. Well, let's shift gears and listen to another Band of the Year nominee. We're going to listen to Heartless Bastards with the track How Low, not Hang Low, but How Low. You want to set us up? Yeah. So this song is off their September album, A Beautiful Life, which was the project's sixth album. So Heartless Bastards has been around for a while. It's the project of vocalist Erica Wennerstrom. And this album was really interesting to fans because it came after a six-year break during which Erica had released some music under her own name. So I think the album just really showed their evolution as a project that has been of interest to us and listeners for quite a while now. All right, we're going to listen to a little bit of How Low from The Heartless Bastards. Last year when the album came out, I had our colleague Doug Freeman come on the show and he and I are both a little bit older than you. This album really hit us both in terms of it's about, you know, getting older, getting hopefully a little wiser. It's a good message album, I think. Yeah, very like uplifting and soothing overall. Definitely. All right. Well, let's move on to the third nominee for Best Band of the Year. Tell us about Nane. First of all, let's start with that. Am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Yeah, it is Nane. And I'm excited to see Nane on here because I believe this is their first nomination. And everyone else on this list has been nominated in some other categories before. But yeah, Nane really made a big impact. Their self-titled debut album actually came out in 2020. But I feel like they kind of, because of COVID, 2021 really ended up being their year where they got to perform a lot and make a big impact. They actually had a concert part of that Netflix reality show 20 somethings they were in that briefly but I think they caught a lot of people's attention in 2020 when Brittany Howard from Alabama Shakes picked their song Blue Velvet for the NPR Tiny Desk contest one of her picks and yeah that was a big endorsement for a lot of people that song was super catchy it's on the album they're a six-piece band led by the singer Daniel Sahad and they're just really kind of raunchy flashy pop rock super like engaging live performances the lead front person has like this really big curly hair and they're just really fun to watch fun to listen to as well so let's listen to a little bit from always on my mind this is Nane. i can totally see sort of the connective tissue to alabama shakes 
Yeah, just that kind of like epic sound. Nane, the the singer has such a powerful voice. I think that's really the first thing that gets you. And a Benny and the Jets beat, right? That's a good point. That song kind of does have that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's shift gears again. Tell us about Sir Woman. Yeah, another really powerful voice of uh, singer Kelsey Wilson that a lot of people have been familiar with in Austin for a while because she was known as a member of the folk band Wild Child. But Sir Woman is Kelsey's solo project and it's kind of incorporates R&B, gospel and funk into some really just like undeniably well-written songs and Sir Woman won Best New Act in 2019 last time we had an award show so this is them being bumped up to band of the year which is exciting and we at the Chronicle really liked this song Blame It on the Water that is kind of like a sassy funky take on pop that Sir Woman does and it has some of those really great backing vocals that are part of a lot of Sir Woman's work. And I know that radio is, of course, an audio medium, but I also just really love the visual aesthetic of this band. It's very 60s, 70s vibe. Old school. Yeah. Yes. They always have circular sunnies on. All right, then. Well, let's listen to a little bit of Blame It on the Water from Sir Woman. That's a song that you just want to strut to right? Yes. Yeah. I think so much of Sir Woman's music and music videos are just kind of those boost up confidence type songs. Well, we're already down to the final nominee for Band of the Year in the Austin Music Poll. Talk to us about Sun June. Yeah, I love Sun June. Their sophomore album Somewhere was my number one album pick for 2021. So this is being close to my heart. They're five piece and they describe themselves as regret pop. And yeah, they're just really hazy, atmospheric, nostalgic scenes in their songs that I think ended up being a good fit for a lot of people's 2021 kind of pandemic time listening. And they're supported by a local label, Keeled Scales, that I think also brought them to the next level in a way. This album was in the New York Times and some outside of Austin places like that. And yeah, you'll hear singer Laura Caldwell's voice that is kind of very soft ghostly yearning sounds and I think a lot of that just seemed appropriate this year well let's sample a little bit of Sun June this is easy what a terrific assemblage of just like really diverse sounds from the last year in Austin music yeah I love this group I think you know if you need a quick catch up on the last year in Austin music listening to the last five artists we've mentioned is a great way to playlist yourself into knowing what's up. Well, Rachel, thanks for helping us sort of dip our toe into the Austin music poll. That was only one category, but there are 50 more categories that our listeners and our readers can vote in. Voting is running now through January 31st, and you can cast that ballot at vote.austinchronicle.com. Winners will be revealed at the Austin Music Awards on March 8th. Rachel, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that is going to do it for another episode of the Austin Chronicle Show. My guests today were Melanie Haupt 
and Rachel Roscoe. And our show engineers were Bob Daly and Andrew Solon. Our theme music was written by Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson. Sun June is going to see us to the door and listeners, we will see you next week. <laughs>